Hey, this is Rob Orman, host of Stimulus, a podcast that deconstructs strategies to live and work with intent. Don't just suck it up. Think differently. Enjoy the show. The fear is coming, but if we can meet it in this way, number one, we're reducing the amount of time we spend so heightened in that state. But number two, as I said to you, every single time it comes, we're converting it into something that feels like hope and confidence and belief, and it's going to be okay. What are the things that we could turn to that says, in spite of all that, ah, here's a few things I can anchor to that allow me to feel a little bit more at peace, a little bit more confident. That is the voice of today's guest, performance coach, Jason Brooks, PhD. Jason works with physicians, athletes, military, helping them develop the cognitive skills and strategies, not only to operate at the highest level, but thrive no matter what the task, no matter what the effort. And during this pandemic, Jason has been working with frontline clinicians, helping and guiding them through the cognitive and emotional aspects of what's happening. But before we get to our conversation with Jason, I want to share a few thoughts and conversations. Earlier today, I was speaking with my friend, Charlie Abramson. Charlie is an emergency physician in Colorado who I worked with for many years. He's a kind soul. He's a good doc. You would want him taking care of you and your family, right? I mean, you're getting the picture in your head. You know the type. So Charlie and I were on FaceTime and then his daughter, who's a toddler, came running by and he paused and he said, you know, I don't think I signed up for this. I didn't sign up to fight something that could kill me. He's the ED director and he said, you know, everyone in the ED is stepping up. Everyone's going to work. Everyone's working hard. But when I went into medicine, it wasn't with the idea that I could die. And I'll tell you that that is one of the really confusing things about how to frame all of this. There's all of these analogies to war, that this is a war against a disease. But is it? I mean, there's aspects of it that are like war, but I saw this really astute distinction between a pandemic and a war that was on the Happy MD blog and how what's happening as far as the medical experience may in some ways be worse than combat because in a war, the danger is the enemy. In a pandemic, the danger is the patient. In a war, you have specific, skilled, trained, and equipped people around you to protect you. In a pandemic, just being the same room with the patient, never mind touching and treating them, especially without sufficient PPE, is an act of service that can ultimately be fatal. In a war, the act of caring for patients is not dangerous to you. In a pandemic, your family is in clear and present danger as well. Now, neither war nor pandemic are a delight, but both situations have their own unique stressors. You know, you see places like New York and Detroit, you may have friends there that you're talking to. I mean, you see the hospitals are overwhelmed. You know, where Charlie works, there's no shortage of coronavirus patients, but at the moment they're keeping their heads above water. There are many hospitals are actually downstaffing, closing off parts of the emergency department because things are slow, but they're still seeing coronavirus patients still in PPE for much of the shift. And to that point, Jose Pacheco, who you might remember from Stimulus Episode 1 on Verbal Judo, Jose is probably one of the most resilient people I know. He said to me the other day after shift, and I'll tell you, Jose used to actually work in a clean room in a bunny suit and he knows his PPE. He said, you know, all of this donning and doffing over and over and wearing this stuff all day, day after day, it is just mentally exhausting. 
yeah, the medicine is interesting. The process of it is a lot. I've heard it said many times that what's happening now, it's a defining moment for medicine. It's exhilarating that this is what the current generation will talk about for years to come. I'm getting stories every day from docs around the country doing incredible things with tenacity and ingenuity. In fact, a couple of my friends, ED docs, used the design from Italy to convert a snorkel face mask into a CPAP using a 3D printed adapter and now just successfully use it on a patient for several days and help ride out the illness. It's a new era of discovery where the behavior of a novel disease is revealing itself. And all of those expressions of exaltation are no doubt true. But when you break this down to the micro level, you also see stress, fatigue, and anxiety. And those things have been significant all the way up to off the charts. And that is going to be the focus of this episode of Stimulus, how to mentally prepare for each day, how to find an anchor to ground you so that rather than feeling like you are constantly running defense, you are actually on offense. You are on the attack against this rather than the other way around. Let's go. You are working with docs. And, you know, I think that the listeners know what they feel, but if you could put that into words or frame it into something that we can work with, what is the emotion or the process going inside clinicians, nurses, paramedics, people on the front line, or even the second line, or even the third line? The fear of uncertainty, all the answers to the important questions that we would like to have. When will this end? When will it peak? Do we have enough equipment? Am I safe? Are my colleagues safe? Is my family safe? We don't have any answers for that. And the other side, when you don't have answers to those ultimately important questions, we don't feel that we have a lot of control. So we're having to deal with those two things every single day as we step into the fire, hoping, hoping that those questions reveal themselves in time. Hope's not a strategy that a lot of people want to be grounding themselves in in the midst of a crisis. And so I think if there's something that we can do, if you look at the two specific things that we say people feel they don't have enough of, they don't have enough certainty, and certainly they, they do not have a sense as, as to where they can find control, maybe that's something that we could discuss in our conversation here to show them or help guide them to some things that they can attach to and cling to with regards to those two things. You know, what do we do with our fear first and foremost? And where can we focus our efforts to find the elusive control that, you know, we don't feel that we have a lot of right now and understandably so. And I think that we so reflexively look for control externally in medicine because, okay, I can get smarter on this. I can do this procedure better. I can go to this course and there's a real sense of mastery of the craft. But right now there's so little external things that we can do to control this. So what's our next step? To focus on what we can. And you know, oftentimes you wish you had something more substantive to say, but the control that we are after and the control that we can actually wield may not be the same thing, but we must focus our attention on the control that we can wield. And so to me, that is about keeping our focus small it's about focusing in on the things that we can be certain of. I mean, how do you deal with uncertainty? Well, you add as much certainty as you can, and you put your attention as much as possible on the things that you can feel some degree of certainty about. And what are those things right now? 
staying together, bringing good energy, having a good attitude, making sure that we support one another, being empathetic, making sure that we prepare as much as possible, being good leaders, encouraging one another. None of this provides a cure for COVID-19, but all of which helps us sustain ourselves just as we're beginning you know, the process of what should be a fairly lengthy battle. You said, keep our focus small. I'm thinking more so in terms of the stuff that we can't be certain of. If I spend my day, it's hard enough you're, you're on the front lines battling this incredibly elusive enemy. If I focused on all the things that I can't control, it's going to make it difficult to focus effectively on the task at hand. It's going to make it difficult to sustain any sense of emotional stamina through the weeks and months that this might you know, last. It's going to be difficult to get a moment's reprieve at the end of a long, hectic day away from this stuff. And so for me, in a weird way, day-to-day becomes very simple, but really hard, if that makes sense. Simple in terms of get up, make sure I prepare well, make sure I'm as ready as I can be, communicate, get the latest updates, go in, do my job, be safe, come home, eat, sleep, repeat. So in terms of keeping my focus small, that's the most important thing that one can do every single day when they step in. And I think there's been a lot of good examples I've heard of, and and I'm sure you have as well, in terms of trying to create the proper leadership flow and command center such that as it comes to information overload, perhaps some of that can be offloaded. I've heard some folks in certain sites just designate someone to triage all updated emails. Other people have been tasked with triaging whatever the latest research information is. And so rather than 25 of us in a department have no chance to separate at the end of a long day from this thing, you'll get one or two emails where someone else has put all the stuff, the most important stuff that you need to see, the most current stuff that you need to be ready to adopt in a package that's easy to see. So, I mean, small things like that matter so important right now, but that's more so what I mean by keeping your focus small. There's no ability to answer the big picture questions right now. I have to be mindful of conserving my mental and emotional energy. And so I got to show up each day and just be ready to do what I do. That's the most important thing people on the front lines can do. I was talking to a couple people yesterday, some emergency physicians in areas that are have, have like a smattering of cases, some who are you know really getting hit, and then some who are getting crushed, like New York City. Everybody was feeling stressed. There was definitely, you know, for the people who had been in thick of it for a while, it's sort of the new normal, and this is our routine, but it is so extremely difficult to be doing this. And considering what could happen, what could happen if, you know, my PPE fails and I'm probably being exposed anyway. And then I was, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a specialist, not, it's not an emergency medicine. He's a, you know, a subspecialist. And he said, you know, I'm going into the hospital one day this week for one day to do procedures. And I am scared out of my mind. I am not sleeping. I am anxious just to go into the hospital right now. The stress level of actually going into this the closest thing that I've heard or that, that I can think is analogous is going into battle where it's uncertain whether, you know, that stray bullet's going to hit you or, or something of the sort. It's nice to say like, well, you know, we, we just need to work on our resilience. <laughs> but in the moment, how to approach that or manage or, or deal with the awareness of those feelings? Accept them first and foremost. 
I got news for every single person. I don't care how much experience you have. I don't care what you've seen in your lifetime. If you're on the front line to use your word battling this thing, people are scared. They are fearful. Again, the, the uncertainty in of itself. And so for me, I think it was Neil Donald Walsh who once said, fear is need announced. And so I would encourage people right now to talk to their fears. If there's something that their fear needs that we could provide it, fantastic. You know, let's figure out what that might be. Some reassurance, a bit more of a sense of a plan, some contingency plans as it pertains to, you know, whether supplies run out or maybe it's contingency plans if I'm exposed, how will that look in my family situation? Where will I go? All these sorts of things. If we can meet that sense of fear with giving it something that it might need to quiet down a little bit. I mean, I, I always like to use the visual. It's as though you're talking to, let's say you had a child, a young child that was yours. And this child was tugging on your leg saying, Rob, I'm scared. I'm scared. You know, I'm, I'm fearful of this thing. What would you do as a parent? Would you ignore that child? Would you try to feverishly shake that child off your leg and tell it to beat it? You know, would you ignore that child? No, you'd look down at it and say, honey, sweetheart, you look scared. What do you need? Well, we can use that visual for ourselves right now. So talk to your fears. What does it need? Does it need some reassurance? Does it need a bit of a joke? Does it need some good leadership? Does it need a bit of rest? And, it, and if it's something so simple as having contingency plans, and I'll give you a story. I was talking to an anesthesiologist just today, someone who's done tons of intubations in his career, um, but he got assigned to a pretty hotspot COVID unit today and was concerned about it and felt anxious about it and literally was live texting me right up until the first you know call that he got to go and, and deliver an intubation. And it was incredible. And we had this conversation ahead of time. And he knew that there might be more trepidation than usual. And he knew that those thoughts and feelings would come up. And we had envisioned practice, if you will, him taking a pause to quickly have that little chat with himself. And his, his fear needed to know it was going to be okay. So how do we help him be okay? By taking a pause, by stepping back, by not being rushed, by making sure that I'm even more mindful of my technique and the steps and what have you. Fear needs to know two things, Rob. It needs to know you hear it. You know, fear is a signal. It's there to help us. There's danger. There's danger. But then it also needs to know once you hear it. So what is your plan to help me stay safe? And so again, if there's some certainty we can bring in that situation, if there's some way we can shift our attention towards all the things that fear isn't looking at, but if we did, would allow a little bit more peace of mind. You know, I'm afraid that we're going to run out of equipment. That's a pretty legitimate fear to have. Let's step back from that for a second. Who do I need to talk to? What is the likely projections of these pieces of equipment? What is the plan as a department if and when we run out? If I know what some of those things are, then in the moment when that fear arises, it can temporarily subside. Not because the situation is less serious, but at least I feel like I have a plan. That's what it needs to know. What is the tipping point between scared and panic. I heard actually a Navy SEAL one time say, you can be scared, you just can't panic. I would look at it this way. To me, when we're in a panic state, you know, we're going pure reptile. We, we are just in such a heightened reactive state that we cannot access literally the prefrontal cortex where all those important cognitive skills and capacities reside. 
the ability to think clearly and rationalize and make effective decisions and recall information, etc. So when we are in panic state, we are closed off to those vital skills that we need. Now, being scared means I'm really heightened, but I can still think and articulate myself clearly. And the analogy that I like to use is this. Think of a tachometer in your car. So if the RPMs get to that red line range, you know, 8,000 to, to 9,000, there's a real risk of, of blowing your engine. Now, we can be at 70,000 RPMs still. The engine's revving pretty high, but at that level, we're no longer redlining. So to think that someone's going to come into one of these shifts and, and be in some sort of a Zen Buddha state, forget it. You're going to be heightened. You're probably going to be more heightened than you have been in the past. But if I can appreciate the difference between heightened and impaired, that's going to save me a lot of troubles. And if I find myself there, such basic physiological reset techniques like a couple of deep centered breaths can make the proverbial de-escalation from 9,000 RPMs redlining to a healthy 7,000, which is, again, still above what we're accustomed to probably, but we can still perform at that level. You sent me a, a one-pager of your notes from your current work with frontline clinicians, and there was one thing in there that I, I've been thinking about, and it's framing it from being on the defense to being on the offense. How in this situation do we flip our perspective when it honestly does feel like so much of what happens in the world is coming at you. So how on earth do you go on the attack? Do you be offense rather than defense with this? It's the psychological shift between feeling there's nothing I can be certain of and feeling I have no control over anything. If I'm in that state and I'm looking at the problems coming in my direction, gosh, I'm in a, in a state of defense. It just feels like I'm taking all the hits every single day. And most important to me, I just look at it in terms of an energy effect. If we're in that state every single day, feeling like we're constantly under siege, and you are, but allowing myself, my thoughts and my emotions to stay stuck there for extended periods of time, you know, we're going to burn ourselves out. I have no magical formula that convert that to, this is the most lovely day at the office. No, these are really challenging times. But more than ever, if when I start to experience some of that, I can work through some of the initial fear. Fear is a signal. What does it need? It probably needs something to focus on other than all these things that I have no control over. So what can I do right here and right now that might make a difference in this moment? I'm going to give that person some encouragement. I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to re remind myself why I'm here. That's the other thing that happens that, that we can really bring to a situation like this that is valuable, and that is to add purpose. Where there is uncertainty and where there is fear, if there is purpose, we're going to stay the course. We're going to persevere. And so these are the small things that I can do to shift my mindset from being defensive, powerless, helpless to at least going, no. You know what's one thing I could really do right now that would help me and help patients and help my team? Put my attention somewhere else that's more constructive. And in that moment, I'm on offense. The stuff that's coming at me has no longer hijacked my attention. There was a great study, and they looked at the recovery times emotionally between two different army battalions, one that was primarily tasked with defending a strategic position and one that was primarily tasked with attacking to secure a certain position. The attacking side recovered emotionally twice as fast 
as the defending side. And with what people are stepping into every single day, you can see the significance there from an, an efficiency of energy standpoint. If my perspective on this is, this is going to be the challenge of our lifetimes, but I believe we're going to get through this thing. We're going to support one another. We're going to figure out ways every single day. This peak will start to happen. And Rob, this isn't being positive as much as it's being factual. I mean, again, fear is not focusing on the other side of the equation. And so when I start to shift towards as well, just reminding myself some of the things that I can cling to that will allow me to feel a little bit more in control and a little bit more like I'm on offense and not just constantly getting pummeled, the net gain and or the net savings in terms of mental and emotional currency cannot be understated. We're talking about winning moments for yourself here. Again, what's the two biggest questions? When is this going to end and are we going to be okay? I don't have an answer for either of those. Nobody can, especially the when is it going to end one, you know? So if this is going to be weeks or months, anything we can do right now to help ourselves conserve that precious energy is going to be massive going forward. And let's not forget that if we expose people who are already in high stress jobs to begin with. But if we put you under those conditions for long enough periods of time, we run the risk of your immune systems becoming compromised. And if that situation starts to develop, well, we don't even want to think about what might happen next. When you were talking about that study of people being on offense and people being on defense, I don't know, maybe I heard this somewhere and I just wrote it down as if it were my original thought. I got this mantra in my head, this isn't happening to me. I am happening to it. Okay, that's like on somebody's positive imagery poster in the corporate office, but that's just kind of condenses it that I'm not a victim here. I'm an active agent taking care of business, getting it done. I like that a lot. And you know, even for those who might not be able to to take it to that level and I get it because people are fatigued and tired and scared and you know, those are tough conditions to sort of summon that, you know, we can do it kind of a thing, but we know that we can. I think even if just people viewed being on offense as catching myself in a moment where extreme sensations of stress or panic or fear come over me and having a mechanism not to fight that, not to resist that, not to pretend I don't feel that, but take a second just to observe that. And again, have that conversation. Fear is a signal. What do I think I need right now? That's not you know, the answers to the questions I can't find answers to. It's like, no, right now I'm heightened. I'm afraid. Okay. What would help me reduce or deescalate some of that by 10%? You know, when I look at Rob and he gives me a thumbs up, God, 5% of that goes down. You know, when I allow myself, even in the hell that we're in to consider what it's going to be like to have a beer on the beach in July or something. And that allows me just a moment's reprieve from some of that stress and, and fear, that's being on offense. That's what I think is doable here. Like I said to you, this is going to be a slugfest. There's no question about it. And so anything that allows us to, I'll go back to that thing I said earlier, the more moments that we win, I just see that as vital emotional and mental energy in your personal bank account that we need to ensure it is not uh, to become too withdrawn. What is anti-fragility? That's kind of a new term that's getting bandied around. And I mean, it sounds kind of like resilience, although it seems more like a shield rather than a bounce back. Maybe they're the same thing. The definition of anti-fragility is, is that 
there are certain systems that necessitate stress and strain and failure and challenge in order to grow and to actualize. Our immune system is one of those systems. You know, again, how do we protect ourselves under normal circumstances against airborne things and what have you? We expose ourselves to that. The body has to adapt. It develops antibodies and we're stronger for it. Your muscles and bones operate in much the same way. You know, we don't get stronger by sitting on the couch. We get stronger by putting them under stress and strain. They're forced to adapt and they grow. The human mind is anti-fragile in this way as well. How do we learn and become better and stronger from within? Oftentimes it's by pushing ourselves to the edge of discomfort and challenge and slightly beyond. And when we see ourselves there and make that adaptation and develop a comfort there, we are we improve by result. So the idea of, of anti-fragility, if you've been hearing it in relation to what people are going through now, I can only assume one might be might be suggesting that as tough as this is, we are in fact capable of handling it. If we look in human history, you know, humans have had extreme challenges in the past. You know, when you think of war times and things of that nature. So the answer to the question, are we technically built to be able to withstand and persevere something like this? Yes, as a general statement, but we need to make sure that as individuals, we are doing certain things to allow ourselves the opportunity to quickly build the skills that one would need to be able to ensure so. And for me, res resilience, the other term that you threw out there, resilience by definition is more the ability to bounce back to form. So, you know, we've been kicked down and we jump back up. And the more times that we do that, the second definition of resilience is, you know, we, we become better at withstanding shock. So in the context of what's happening now, maybe resilience unfolds in every single day that I face the fears and step in there and, you know, live to tell another day and come back home and step back in again. You know, I'm going to feel a little bit more ready, a little bit more. I'm not going to say confident because again, there's, there's still this thing that we can't control, but perhaps a little bit more poised. And to me, that is the kind of resilience that we can be shooting for right now. And what we can do for each other to promote that sense, like there, there needs to be a collective resilience here. When I had sent you some notes before we were talking about this, one of my notes said, Rob Orman opening monologue at uh, EM Essentials in Vegas. And this was one I attended, and it was the one that occurred right after the Las Vegas shootings. And what was so remarkable to me was the opening montage that you so skillfully facilitated as, as the MC, and all these stories of those frontline professionals who were forced to deal with something that no one had ever conceived was even possible of a thing. When you consider the time pressures and the amount of casualties and just the chaos and understaffed and all of that. And you heard all these stories from all these frontline personnel that were, were not necessarily all in the same thing. I mean, you know, in situations like that, much like we might see here, other specialists, guess what? You're now an eMERGE doc. You're now a ICU doc. Like it, it, you mentioned it before, all hands on deck. And the other thing that stood out to me in those conversations and in seeing other hospitals go through certain things. In Canada, we had a horrific bus crash a few years ago where a junior hockey team, many of them were critically injured or whatever. And so again, all these patients coming into one small town facility at one time. 
in both Las Vegas and in that situation, when you talk to people afterwards, they said, it's so interesting to me that I never felt more closer to my colleagues. We never felt more like a team. And this is within interdisciplines that aren't always functioning that way, you know, where there's petty disagreements and there's territorial things and people are fighting for certain resources and what have you. All of that strips away. Now more than ever, we can help, help one another by being kind, by being empathic, by showing some encouragement, by rolling up our sleeves. And so that in and of itself creates a collective sense of resilience. Who else in the world can fully understand, fully understand what it's like what those people are going through than the people who are going through it? That is the team. We need to wrap that team in razor wire and make sure that we are bringing as sound of leadership as we can every day. And and we are all leaders for heaven's sakes. What do you think is a more effective mind frame with this? Thinking of yourself as the favorite or as the underdog? I would say it's a very personal thing because I have worked with people where if they're not on the right side of that equation, they're not going to perform at their best. They're going to succumb to some of the pressures and the expectations and what have you. I think sometimes those people who are a little bit timid, let's say, a little bit fearful, being the underdog takes off some of the pressure, you know, where you just say to yourself, look, this is a big challenge. We're going to do every single possible thing we can. We are outmatched. We don't have a lot of the answers to the questions. So my job becomes very simple. Show up each and every single day, take care of each moment as it comes, rinse and repeat. So it takes away some of the pressure as compared to saying, Rob, we need you to save the day. The world needs you to jump in. Some people draw energy from that. The most important thing is not which one is more effective. It's which one is more effective for you and make sure that you keep yourself there. I have lots of athletes that I work with who compete at the highest levels and have won championships and they still consider themselves the underdog. Why? Because they have found that they perform better in that way less pressure, more focus, et cetera. Others need that. You know, give me that. I want that on my back. It's like, give me that shot, you know, in the last few seconds of the game. I want to take that. Know who you are is the key in that choice there. We had an episode a while back on pregame, on how to pregame like a pro. And it was, you know, a lot of people from all over the world talking about this and, you know, different specialties. You know, people had these different things and they were all pretty chill. And it was really about going into something that was pretty well known. There's always variables in medicine. You know, I don't know if it's going to be busy or if it's going to be slow. I don't know if I'm going to have a complication with saying or, or not, but it's just, okay, I have these rituals that I go through to get in the right mental frame. And I think when you do that, your day's better, you're sharper, you're just better. Now, I think a lot of people feel disruption of that process because it's not, oh, I'm going to go in. I wonder if I'm going to go see some appies, you know, maybe a motor vehicle crash could be a couple, you know, shootings and stabbings and oh, like a febrile kid and non-physicians that might sound like a weird list, but that's just, you know, that's a normal day of work. What would you think, it's going to vary for everybody, but just as an idea of something to say, I want to try this, a way to pregame going in to this environment. I think the first thing is to check in with yourself, you know, allow yourself if it's two minutes, if it's, if it's five minutes, if it's before you leave for work, if it's in your car, just as you're getting ready to step in there, 
first thing is just to check in. You know, what I what am I experiencing right now? There is going to be some fear. There is going to be some concern. So step one would be to address some of that. If I can de-escalate that by a factor of 10%, as we said earlier, I'm in a better position and a better state to think and make rational decisions and perform and execute as I want to. The second part then would be just to reconnect to a perspective on why me stepping through that door has value and significance to me that's stronger than my fear. That's the key. What is the purpose behind this? What What is the reason why me, my training, my experience, stepping in there? Why am I doing that? And we always ask ourselves that question when we're feeling uh, stress and strain or if we've experienced some failure, you know, why did this happen or why? We don't ever answer it. And this is an opportune time. We're afraid. The instinct of fear is to fight or, <laughs> or freeze, right? We are choosing to step in. So fear is going to need a little bit of convincing. So why are we? What can I cling to? What is that sense of meaning and purpose that I can say that in spite of how scared I am, take a deep breath, exhale. This is the reason why I'm stepping in. At the very least now, the mind and the heart are aligned to know there's reason to step through that door. I suppose you could even make the case that what I'm sort of suggesting here, and maybe now more than ever, for those of you who maybe don't actively engage in some sort of a formal religious type of, of faith-based prayer, um, which I'm not suggesting that or, or anything, but prayer to me is just self-suggestion. It is just sending a message to my deep subconscious as to what it is that's real and true. And in spite of that, if it's on the side that, that seems really challenging, why it is that I will step in there? What is the reason for doing so? What is my purpose? Why is it important? Why will I persevere? What is it that I can bring today that makes a difference? It's not just my clinical and technical skill right now. It's every other non-technical skill, bringing good energy, being a good colleague, doing what whatever needs taking, showing empathy, etc. What do I need from other people? That's a great question to ask yourself and make sure that you can find it. If at times you need a little bit of, of humor to cope through the day, find someone who can bring that to you. If, if at times you need a safe person to literally lean on, find that person. Whatever it is that you need, if you know what that is and have a plan of how to get it going in, that will bring a little bit more peace of mind as well. And then at the end of that prayer, in however way it is that you want to close it, and by we're saying prayer that's synonymous with just a pre-performance plan, you know, who'd have thought that those things are the same? It is. It's just self-suggestions, getting myself switched on and dialed in for what I'm stepping into. At the end of that, I want to make sure that I just anchor, anchor that sense of conviction and purpose with some sort of a, a phrase or a mantra, if you will, that my mind just goes, okay, like it's showtime. You know what I'm saying? And that is a very personal thing. For some people, it, it, it might be, a little bit less Jocko and a little bit more Gandhi, you know, in, in how we say that, you know, maybe it's a prayer to the self, maybe it's a blessing for safety, etc. And for others, it might be, you know, let's go, let's go on offense. It's time to go do what we do. And, and that is the mental and emotional switch that gets me into that state where now I can go perform as I want to. And when moments in the day come up, which they will, where I'm a little stressed and I'm a little fearful, we go back and do the same thing. First, we pause. We observe the feeling. We don't try and pretend that we're not feeling it or dismiss it or fight it. Observe it. Take a deep breath. Bring that arousal down by 10%. We can think more clearly now and more rationally. Ask your fear what it needs. What can I give myself in this moment right now that would help? 
I cannot cure COVID-19, but maybe I can get some sense of encouragement from a colleague. Maybe I can share that I'm a little scared about this procedure with someone around me. That's something that I can get for myself. The Jason pregame check-in. What is my purpose? Why I will persevere? What can I bring to this? What do I need? Let's go. Yeah. One step previous to that, face the fear first. Fear is going to be waiting for you. Fear from the moment you get up. Fear is going to be, you know, all those questions. You know, what if we run out of things? You know, what if there's too many cases? What if this? What if that? All legitimate, all justifiable. and, and, And guess what? Nothing we can do. That's coming for the ride every single day. But if we view that as a signal, Fear is a signal. And I get very disciplined at having that conversation with myself and talking to it and seeing what it might need. And if I can get that thing such that it calms down ever so slightly. I have an athlete I work with who's a fighter. And every single time it's fight day, it's the worst day in the history of the world for this person. It's just you're going into a ring, you're totally exposed, and you have high risk of physical harm. If you win, you're the greatest. If you lose, you're a schmuck. There's a lot on the line. And so the fear, the anxiety, the worry on the day of the fight, I mean, it's just at an all-time peak. And so what we do to prepare for that in advance is not to say, well, you know, we're just going to have to somehow strengthen you such that you just are immune to that. There's no room for fear. You know, fear is the enemy. What a crock of shit all that is. Good luck with that. Fear is coming for the ride. So the best thing that we can do is as quickly and effectively as possible, meet it with something that allows it to quiet down by a small percentage. And as we said earlier, when we do that, now at the very least, I can perform through it. It still might be chirping a little bit at me in the background, but it's not screaming in my ear because that's when it interferes. And so that's the first thing to me is to meet that fear, see what it needs. And once we do that, so I'll go back to this fighter. What we do to help him is when he experiences those thoughts on the day, we see it as a signal. He takes a step back and pauses. He sees that as what we're supposed to do in that moment. It's become sort of algorithmic. And then he shifts his attention towards what is real and true. Because we all know that when we're in that heightened, fearful state, you know, we're not thinking about what's possible and, and, and positive thoughts. We're focusing on the things that are, that we're afraid of, that we feel we have no control, no certainty over. So we have a list of things and we say, okay, what is it that in his case, a professional fighter would want to feel some degree of confidence about heading into a fight? And they're just listed in, in, you know, random form, you know, quality of sparring, quality of training, quality of weight cut, all the things that a fighter would want to have, uh, have done well. And because he works so damn hard, we set it up as a Likert scale, you know, one being the worst it's ever been and five being the best it's ever been. Well, if you know anything about fighters, they train so hard. The answer to the question, am I better now than I was last fight, should always be yes. So he can honestly check it. These all these things that we have said would be useful for a fighter to feel confident going into a fight, I now can say with certainty are the best they have ever been. So when fear comes up, it does its thing. We see it as a signal. He takes a pause and he shifts his attention to this list. And when he goes over that list, the end result is one, a temporary and slight de-escalation in the fear, a moment's reprieve, if you will. But secondly, now you've converted the fear because now that interlude provides him the opportunity to 
convert a fear signal into something that ends in him feeling entirely reinforced about how good of a position he actually is in. It creates confidence because the end result of looking at that list, you go, I'm going to be okay, aren't I? Yes, you are. Until five minutes later when fear comes back and you just do the same thing again. The fear is coming. But if we can meet it in this way, number one, we're reducing the amount of time we spend so heightened in that state. But number two, as I said to you, every single time it comes, we're converting it into something that feels like hope and confidence and belief, and it's going to be okay. So how would that look like with what people are going on now? When the fear comes up, and of course, what we're fearful of is is real and true. But there are other things beneath that that we're not focusing in on, such as, you know, how resilient is the team that we have? How are we staying in the game? What kind of of players do we have here? A lot of good people on our team. We've got some good experience. We've got great clinicians. We've got great interdisciplinary support. We are getting more and more people involved every single day. Like whatever the things are, Rob, that someone stepping into a shift every single day, fearful and anxious about all things COVID-19, what are the things that we could turn to that says, in spite of all that, ah, oh, here's a few things I can anchor to that allow me to feel a little bit more at peace, a little bit more confident. I leave that thinking, I'm okay, aren't I, for right now? And the answer is yes. And if 10 minutes later, I have to do that again, that's fine. And I end that cycle feeling and I'm okay for right now, aren't I? Yes, you are. Rinse and repeat every single day. As you're describing kind of talking to fear, I think about the term conquering. It's nothing to be conquered. It's it's almost like grabbing mud. I will squeeze this and then, oh, wait, it's all coming through my fingers. I'm making a big mess. And, And I'm just trying to think of the word. You're not you're not conquering anything. You're showing compassion. You're, you're embracing your fear because it is a part of you. So if it's a part of me, and if I don't have any magical saying or mantra that can make it go away, I better find a way to work with it. What if rather than judge that we're scared and anxious, what if rather than resist that, we just met it? It's like, yeah, I'm scared. Okay, I got the signal. What can we do about that? You know, that is within our purview to do in this moment, that does not mandate having answers to questions that we cannot find answers to. If we're putting our attention on those things, we are shifting back to defensive mode because we are, we are utilizing valuable mental and emotional currency, spinning the idea in my head about things that I, I'm worried about that I have no possible ability to answer or solve or what have you. So as much as my attention's there, it's drawing energy. If I can de-escalate some of that and distract myself in a more constructive direction, I am not talking about, hey, just be positive. I'm talking about, can we conserve? It's in much the same way I feel that PPEs are so vital and precious right now as a resource. So is mental and emotional energy for the frontline personnel. So every single moment where I can de-escalate by 10%, every single moment where I'm not is in, entrenched in that extreme sense of fear. Every single moment I don't fight it or resist it, which makes me feel even worse about it. I'm creating a little bit more peace, a little bit more space. And to me, that converts into time and energy that we're going to need. We are so adept at grinding it out, putting our heads down and just going for it. And when it's over, you go do the next thing. 
But this is a, a really a time, I think, that looking in the future to just be aware that it's not going to be normal in your noggin, in your mind, in your soul. There's going to be a need for healing, processing, recovering. And it's hard to admit that when that's not the image of you're strong, you're strong. Better to be a willow that bends than an oak after the dust settles. No question about it. And I think that when you've gone through something like this, there's two things that happen. And when you're talking about, you know, once in a lifetime events, let's hope. On the one hand, yes. I mean, the answer to the question, am I stronger as a result? Yeah, there's great potential for that, but not in and of itself because of the experience. It's going to hinge upon what I do with that experience to do, as you say, heal, recover, grow, apply the lessons, you know, improve the system, whatever it is. And that does not come by virtue of going through it. That comes from being very conscious with, with regards to how I will choose to engage with that experience and those feelings and all the rest in the aftermath. And that is something that I think is going to happen at unprecedented levels because this is an unprecedented experience. And I also think that most hospital systems are probably so aware of that that I would hope that they will be ready to provide, you know, comprehensive ideas as to how that can happen. You know, there's obviously a lot more emphasis on physician wellness uh, in general. Now, physician wellness on the heels of, of global pandemic and, and the kinds of experiences and decisions and awful situations that at times you've had to go through, that's going to require more than just, you know, having a two-week vacation in the aftermath and, and thinking that we go on as normal. No, there's going to be a, a strong need to ensure that people have proper outlets to process that. Some of the ethical dilemmas, there will be guilt that surfaces. And it seems obviously for someone on the outside looking in, it would be easy to say, oh, for heaven's sakes, why would you feel guilty? You know, you did what you had to do. Yeah, of course. And, and we all believe that. And as physicians and, and frontline personnel, that is the truth. But tell that to the person that, you know, has had to divert from some of the things that they would normally do, that if they were able to do those things, people would not die. I mean, this is unprecedented. A lot of people listening to this are probably going into work and thinking about, you know, you're talking about your pre-performance plan and we went through those steps. What's my purpose? Why I will persevere? What can I bring? What I need to do? You know, acknowledging your fear and saying, what, like, what does that need? And then let's go. Are there any other aspects of this pre-performance ritual or process that may maybe someone could tap into right now? I mean, they're, they're heading in five minutes. They're about to go put on their PPE. Yeah. And I would say that there's also extreme value in rehearsing and allowing yourself to work through some of the situational things that we might be worried about that, again, are causing some anticipatory anxiety or what have you. I mean, work backwards from whatever the thing is that we are afraid of and rehearse seeing ourselves respond how we do, uh, how we want to under those conditions. Allows us to feel a little bit readier in advance if and when those things pop up. Let's not hope. If you're worried about it, let's work it through. Jason, before we go, if people want to get a hold of you and get involved in performance coaching or performance psychology coaching, what's the best way to do that? You can get a hold of me by email, uh, Dr. Jabro, that's spelt out, Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R. 
jbro at gmail.com. Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, doctor, at Dr. Jbro. It's at dr period jbro. And on Twitter, at phenomenal docs. Thank you so much, Jason. Hey, thank you. And thank you, everyone who's going to listen to this. We are behind you. We're trying to do everything we can to support you. And God bless and Godspeed. That's going to wrap it up for Stimulus Episode 4. Thank you, Jason Brooks. And thank you out there for listening for your utter, complete, full strength awesomeness. Full show notes beyond the timestamps you see on your podcatcher are available on the website, stimuluspodcast.com. If this is your first time catching the show, you can subscribe and listen on any platform where you do your podcasts. If you want to get a hold of us, just use the contact link on the website. If you dug what you heard here today, spread the love. Share the show with a friend. Until next time, stay safe. <laughs>